0: Well, I barely remember when I graduated. I remember a couple things. One, I could hardly wait to get away from the farm. I grew up on a farm. That was my thought. If I can just get away from the farm and these two adults who think they're smarter than me. I could hardly wait. Then I discovered it was a little scary out there. And it took a little longer. Then I discovered those two adults were way smarter than me. And I wish I'd listened a little bit more. But it can be a time of asking that question, now what? Now, have you ever been to a a place where you see a road sign and there's like six different intersections all come together and if you're a country bumpkin like me, you're sitting there looking at the sign and the horns start honking and I'm like, I don't know which way to go. So I saw that sign and I thought, that is really cool. Lost, confused, unsure, unclear, perplexed, disoriented, bewildered. And I thought, there you are. Graduation. That's how the parents feel. Not the kids. They figure they got it all together, and they're ready to conquer the world, and that's a good thing. But as parents, we're like, oh, gal, what in the world? A whole new level of prayer motivation enters our life. In our world today, and I really want to share, obviously to the graduates primarily, but to all of us, what I feel like the Lord's put on my heart this morning for this, because you know, if you get hooked up in what's going on in the world and you're watching around, it can be easy, easy to get discouraged. I even hear parents, and I've said this, boy, it was tough for me, but I, I really feel bad for my children. I hear adults who get married and say, I don't even know if I want to raise kids and have children and put them in this world. And I think that is the defeatist attitude that the enemy wants us to have. You know, it's the children of Christians that can make a difference in the world. It's Christians who can make a difference in the world. The leaders that we elect aren't going to fix this thing. It's us. It's the people. It's Christians. It's our young people. That this, this fix for our nation, for our culture, has to come from God and from within the body of Christ. or It just isn't going to happen. And we need to remember that. And as for our young people going out as graduates, um, you, you, there's, a, there's, a, there's a really uh, enticing trap that our culture set for you. And it's the way they define success success by the world is defined in a number of ways but they're all very temporal and very very short-lived and they can all be lost that quickly things like fame things like power position titles things like money and materialism that's success and there's there's some aspects of what they encourage us with like you know you can do anything you want And I want to encourage you young people that way. Yeah, we can do anything we want. Well, sort of. We can become what we want to become. Hard work, diligence, focus. All of those things. And they're all good things. They're all good things. Don't get me wrong. But there's a lot of people out in the world doing all of those things and having success by the world's standards. And we still have a problem. Amen? It's still a mess. There's got to be something new. So I want to encourage our young adults and our young kids and every one of us that, you know what, we are to have a spirit of excellence. We are to do the best that we can in whatever we're called to do. We are called to grow where we're planted. When we get transplanted, that's okay. It's painful and it hurts sometimes, but let's plant ourselves there and let's grow and bring glory and honor to God. Those things are, 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 are really part of each one of our destiny in a general way, not in a specific way necessarily. There's something missing and... and There's a lot of things I could talk about in terms of what I think we as Christians need to be doing a better job of. But I want to focus on just one of them here this morning. Having the opportunity to make a difference. When you look at the world, do you say, well, can I make a difference or can't I? It's easy to think I'm just me. I'm just this one person. I'm this insignificant one person. You know, I I live in Ballatin or Tracy or Russell or Marshall or whatever town around you live in. How big a deal can it be? I want to encourage us. First of all, we can all make a difference. We all can make a difference. It may be one person at a time, but we can make a difference. You can impact other people. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. You're going to have an opportunity to influence people to make an impression, to make a difference. As high school graduates, college graduates, you know, you're stepping into a whole new environment in many cases. You're going to be meeting a whole new group of people, a new group of peers. And there's nothing but opportunity there to make an impression. And as Christians, the impression we want to make is to the glory and honor of God. Not to get snared by the world's way of thinking. There's nothing wrong with success, and there are blessings that are material as well as spiritual. I understand all that. But our culture focuses on nothing but the material, the temporal stuff that you or I can lose in a snap of fingers. You know, you can have wealth, fame, power, prestige, and admiration, and in a moment, it can all be taken from you. So why do we work our whole lives for those things? because the world has caught us and we've been sucked into this deception and lie that it's somehow or other about all of that. I want to talk about something that has the potential to change lives, not just ours, but other people's. It also has the potential to change our culture. And all of it will bring glory to God as we do it in a right heart and a right spirit. And lastly, and, and but not leastly, what I want to talk about actually is a demonstration of our relationship with God. And it will cause others to take notice, and it'll give us opportunities, and it'll open the door for us to share Christ with others, the hope of God, the hope of Christ with others. Most of you, or some of you, have heard of Tony Campalo. He, is a, he was a pastor, he's a writer, and you know, he's been a little controversial in some ways, but I want to share a story that he wrote about in a book that he has written. And in this this story, and it, when I say story, it's an actual event that took place in his life. He had flown to Hawaii, Honolulu, for a conference. And if you've ever flown to Hawaii, ever gotten to Hawaii, you know the time change really messes with you, right? It's tar- hard to adjust five, six, seven hours and change of time. So his first night there, it's 3:30 in the morning. He's wide awake and he's hungry. So he gets out of his hotel and he goes for a walk, and he, he's looking for a place. It's 3:30 in the morning. There's not too many types of establishments open at 3.30 in the morning. And he finally finds himself in kind of a seedier part of town where there's a bar that serves food. So he goes into the bar and, and he's going to get a snack to eat at 3.30 in the morning. And the clientele, he, he looked around and suddenly discovered he was surrounded by nine prostitutes who had just finished working for the evening. And he's listening and, and he hears one of these young ladies say to one of her friends, Tomorrow is my birthday, and her friend looks at her and says, "So, what are you telling me that for? Want me to go out and buy you a present and a birthday cake and sing happy birthday to you, or what?" The young girl says, "Why do you have to be so mean to me? I'm just telling you, tomorrow is my birthday. Why would you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why do you have to be so mean?" And this whole time, Tony Campalo is sitting there, and he's listening to this. And his heart is being tugged. And these young ladies leave, and he stays, and so it's just him and the bartender, and he makes arrangements with the bartender. He says, I'm going to throw a surprise birthday party tomorrow at 3.30. And the bartender says, really? Great. He says, I'll get a cake. So Tony Campalo comes, and he decorates the place. The bartender buys a cake. And at 3.30 in the morning, the prostitutes all come back in after their evening of work. And they're looking around this place. And Tony cues the group that are in there. And they start singing happy birthday to this prostitute. Well, she's shocked. All of her friends are shocked. And quite frankly, most of the people in there were shocked. And when they got through singing happy birthday and and letting her see the birthday cake, Tony says to her, young lady, would it be okay if I prayed for you, being this is your birthday? And now the congregation <laughs> was really stunned. <laughs> what a congregation. And he prayed. The young lady said, yes, that'd be great. And he prays for this prostitute at 3.34 in the morning in Honolulu, Honolulu, a woman he'd never met. And he prays for her, when he finishes praying, the bartender looks at him and says, Hey man, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you preach at? And Tony looks at him and says, I preach and attend the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And the guy says, No you don't, there is no such church. If there was, I'd join it. In the Bible we see an old story of similar content that gives a similar message. A message of compassion. And I think that is one of the things that is disappearing in our culture. Caring about other people and showing compassion to other people. It's become so all about me. Press on, work hard, run from place to place. We don't have time for people. We don't care about other people. It's become I or me. And that's all it is. And in this picture of Tony, the bartender, who knows what this bartender looks like? I I see this great big macho Hawaiian with muscles everywhere. I'd join your church if there was such a place. I think one of the things that draws people to Christ is when they see Christ manifested through other people by the compassion that we have the opportunity to share with them. And we have that opportunity almost every day to show compassion to people. The story in the Bible is one that a lot of you are familiar with if you've been churched at all. But I want to give you a little background. It's going to start by saying that there was this certain man who was going down a road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Jerusalem was higher in the mountains. Jericho was down by the Jordan River. And this road was a very, very treacherous and steep road. We call it a road. It would have been nothing more than a path back in that time. And it was such a dangerous road, it was called the Road of Blood. Because there were so many outcroppings of rocks, robbers and thieves would be able to hide, attack somebody who was walking by, and quickly disappear into the rocks, not to be caught, not to be seen. And this was the situation. So when Jesus starts to tell this story, for all we know, it might not be a parable. He doesn't call it one. It may have been a story of actual events, but regardless of what it was, they would have been able to relate to the scene when he starts telling this story. So I'm going to read to you from the Gospel of Luke. Starting in verse 25, the first couple verses bring us to the actual story. Jesus has been speaking, and it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up. Now this isn't a lawyer like we think of a lawyer today. This would have been an expert at the law, the Jewish law. This would have been a theologian. This would have been someone who understood the word. It says, A certain lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, trying to test him. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I read that and it reminds me when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and says, what should I do? He says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he says to him, what is written in the law? He puts it right back on this theologian. He says, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he says to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, and now he tells the story. There was a certain man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, They stripped him of his clothes and they beat him. And they left him, leaving there half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. History tells us that Jericho had over around 12,000 priests and Levites living in Jericho. And they would go up this road to Jerusalem to do their, their priestly duties. So this would have been a common thing for priests and Levites. Priests, the one who actually carried out the ceremony, and the Levites, those who helped the priests around the temple. So the story in the, in the ears of the hearers would have been resonating. They'd have got it immediately. They could almost picture the scene. And he says a certain priest was going down on that road. And notice as says going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He would have already finished his priestly duties as he was going back home. He says, this priest going down the road saw him, he passed to the other side. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn, And took care of him. And on the next day he took out two denarii. And he gave them to the innkeeper and said take care of him. And whatever more you spend when I return I will repay you. Then Jesus looks at him and says which of these three. Do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands. And he said the one who showed showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him go and do the same. Before I go on into the message, I want to make clear, Jesus isn't saying, if you do the right stuff, you're going to get saved. It's kind of like when the rich young ruler came and says, what must I do? And Jesus says, sell everything and follow me. He knew full well before the conversation ever started that the rich young ruler couldn't do it. And we have the same scenario being played out here. This lawyer, this student of the law, is asking, what must I do? Still trying to figure out, you know, after all, I'm a, I'm a theologian. I'm really good. What else must I do? And Jesus is knowing full well that he isn't going to do this. So he's just pointing out again that the law isn't going to save anybody. We need to remember that. We can't earn our way into heaven. They couldn't then, and they can't now. It's only by grace through faith in Christ. So when we look at this story... And read the story, there's a lot that I think we can learn about compassion. First of all, compassion is based on need, not worth. It's horrible to think this way, but you know, there's a lot of times we might see a need and we go into evaluation mode are they worth me helping? That bum of a hitchhiker deserves to be on the road. He's probably made a mess of his life forever. Cadillac stopped alongside the road. I think I'll stop and help this guy. He'll probably give me a big tip. It has nothing to do with worth of the individual. It has everything to do with the need. When we see the need, compassion should compel us to meet that need. When these three different individuals come, you know, the first one's the priest. And if you study the wording of these things, it becomes much more clear than when we just read it in the text. But it's like, and you've, you can picture this in modern day, an accident along the side of the road. If, if the, this body's laying over there by Cindy, and I'm the priest, it's the, it says the priest is going down the road, and he's walking along, and all of a sudden, he saw it. And he did this, and he walked way over the other side of the road, probably shielded his eyes, and kept on going. It says the Levite saw, coming down the same road, the Levite saw, he went over and did a little rubber neck gawking. You ever see that? And then he turned and went on. And then the third one is the Samaritan. The Samaritan sees, and he goes over and looks, And compassion, he felt something. The priest, think about this, the priest, if there is anybody who should have handled this, it would have been the priest. His compassion, he should have, in their time, in their day, there is no one in the eyes of the Jewish people more holy than the priest. And yet he didn't even walk over and look. He saw it and did everything he can or could to avoid it. If there should have been somebody who was going to exhibit the character of God, it should have seemed like it would have been the priest. But it wasn't. The second person was the Levite who came. And when he saw him and looked, he went to the other side. You know, so basically what we've got here, and put it in more, more modern vernacular, we've got two re- professional religious people, a priest and a Levite, who are supposed to be representing God to the people. And neither one of them would give this person in need the time of day. Sadly, in our culture today, our religion does not affect the way we live. Just like these two, the priest and the Levite. They could talk a good game. They knew what the word said. They could probably even say hallelujah and amen. But when it came time to exhibit and let their faith show itself, it wasn't there. The second thing we see about compassion is it feels something. It feels something. When you read the text, you'll notice, saw him, walked to the other side. Stopped, saw, walked over, walked to the other side. And then it says, he saw him. And he felt compassion. The Samaritan felt compassion towards this man. And Jesus is making this, this story as impactful as he could. So it hit the Jewish people right between the eyes and the forehead. Because here we have a priest and a Levite Neglect the man completely. And here comes this Samaritan who to the Jews were considered nothing but dogs. They were low-life scum. They would have expected the Samaritan to go over and finish him off instead of helping him. They were their enemies. And he says, God is saying, the Samaritan comes over and he feels something. And the word compassion there is a strong word. It's like, you know, we maybe say something like, oh, I just have this gut feeling. There was just something inside of me. I couldn't not do what I felt I was supposed to do. That's the word here, that compassion. He saw the man laying there. Something raised up in his spirit, raised up in his very soul. And i got to do something. I can't go one step further. I've got to stop. He felt something. True compassion feels something. It's not very compassionate to say, gee, they had a need. I'd really like to help them. See you later. And walk away. There's no compassion there. We have an opportunity to show compassion to people. The world is hurting. Anybody not realize that? The world is messed up. People are hurting. They're hurting in every way we can think of. Emotionally, spiritually, financially, materialistically. They're hurting. And they need some compassion. Compassion. There was no logic involved whatsoever for the Samaritan to do what he did. It would not have been expected. It made no sense. Wherever he was going, he probably had something to do. And he, this, this guy over here, who cares? They all hate me anyway. I've got to get out of the country or I'll be the next one laying alongside the road. No logic. He stopped and helped. He felt compassion. The third thing about compassion is that you do something. You don't just feel something, you do it. You do something. You know, it's not compassion unless you're compelled to do something. You know, it's interesting when you look through Scripture and you read about Jesus' ministry in the Gospels. Look through there and see how many times you'll see, depending on your translation, it might not be the word compassion. But you'll see Jesus was moved by compassion. He was moved by compassion, and he fed the crowds, multiplied the fish and loaves. He was moved by compassion, and he raised the young child from dead to alive. He was moved by compassion, and he healed and gave sight to the blind. He was moved by compassion, and he raised the cripple up off the ground, and his bones were straightened. Jesus Christ was moved by compassion. He had it, he saw something, he felt something, and he did something. In the world, it's so about me and going on. Man, we're going to push on. Don't get distracted. We don't have time for that. Let's just go and do it and accomplish and, and, and forget about the rest. If we're going to represent Christ, we need to be moved by compassion. We need to be moved by compassion. The Christian church, Christian people, has become, to a great extent, ineffective in reaching the lost because we do not have compassion. We have another gift called criticism and judgmentalism. We are quick to criticize and quick to judge. And we feel spiritual doing that. Kind of like a Pharisee or a priest. Instead of showing compassion. We never love the sin. We never embrace the sin. We never praise the sin. But we need to love and have compassion on the people. Otherwise we're not going to even get the opportunity. To point them towards truth. And away from the sin. Away from the evil. Compassion does something. This man did something. You know, Put yourself in this place. Put yourself in a car going down the road. It doesn't matter whatever scene you can relate to in your mind. And this guy... Probably like you and me, We're all, anybody here ever in a hurry? Anybody here ever run late? Sounds like my life. Sounds like most of our lives, doesn't it? We always hurry, hurry, hurry. And here's this opportunity to minister compassion. He had wine and oil with him. He took the wine and oil as, a, as an antiseptic to clean, to heal, and he put the wine and the oil on his wounds. And then he t- took and he put his, the wounded man on his beast, whatever it was, probably a donkey. He put him on the donkey. And he walked while the other guy rode. And then he took him to the inn. If I'd have got this far, I'd have probably dropped him off at the inn and said, there we go. But he didn't do that. He not only took him to the inn, he stayed with him and took care of him at through the whole night. And it wasn't until the next day he went to the innkeeper. And he said, Here, here's two denarii. What does that mean to you and me? Here's five bucks. And that day, one denarii was an average daily wage. So he took two days' wages and gave to the innkeeper. It says, Here. And then he said, Whatever more it takes... I'll come back and I'll pay you the rest, but take care of this man. Compassion does something, and compassion costs something. It's always going to cost you something. Even if it's just time, it's going to cost you something. Energy, it's going to cost you something. It might cost you a bag of groceries. It might cost you a water coat. But it's going to cost you something to show compassion. And the fifth point, the last one and I think this is a really important one, is our compassion demonstrates our relationship with God. If your relationship with God was going to be defined by how you show compassion, what would we look at or think of your relationship with God? Jesus asked the lawyer at the end of that story, he says, which one of these do you think proved... To be a neighbor to this man. And the lawyer had found himself now trapped by Jesus. And he says, the one who showed mercy. And he says, go and do the same. Really, what he's saying is, go and do what I would do. Go and be Christ-like. Go and manifest Christ. And I think that's the message to us as a people, as Christians. We are called to be ambassadors. That doesn't mean we just talk. Lots of Christians can talk the talk. They know the right words. We've learned the verbiage, the phrases. But that doesn't impress God. And it doesn't impress people in need. Jesus showed compassion. We're to show compassion. I suppose I should throw a disclaimer in here. You know, we need to be wise. We need to be wise. We need to be careful. But sometimes what the cost is, is putting ourselves at a little bit of risk. But we need to be wise. But Jesus is looking at this, and he's challenging this guy, knowing this guy can't go there. But I think it's a challenge for us. You know, we are Christians. We are followers of Christ. The living God lives in us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in the process of transforming us into the image of God. God is filled with compassion. That compassion tore down Tore down walls in the time of Jesus. It opened up opportunities for Jesus to share the good news, to share who he was. The disciples would show compassion. They got to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It opened up doors, provided opportunities. Even while at the same time, it caused great persecution. You know, Jesus, he got in trouble for healing people, he got in trouble for raising the dead. He got in trouble for doing just about everything out of compassion. It's going to cost us. But it's worth it, and it's what we're called to do. I want to close with two scriptures. first one is in 1 John 3. It says this, This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, no compassion on him, how can, they love, how can the love of God even be in him? Pretty straightforward. And in James 2.15 it says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and find something to eat, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. True faith in Jesus Christ, if we are truly saved, if we truly believe, that means we believe enough to take action. We believe enough to live like Christ has called us to live. For our graduates, you're going to get to, going to, get to go into whole new environments, whole new opportunities, different places. The enemy could throw all kinds of fear at you, anxiety, what will they think, what will happen, but you're going to have all kinds of opportunities to show the compassion of Christ to people. And you need to remember, true compassion is based on truth. It's based on truth. Our world is trying to confuse this thing. We have no compassion and we're intolerant if we stand against sin. Condoning sin is not compassionate. It's not compassionate. There's going to be opportunities for you young adults that are going off to colleges. You're you're going into a bastion of worldliness. You're going to be challenged almost every day by professors in your classes, by other students. You're going to be challenged to compromise the truth that you know to be true. Compromising the truth is not compassionate. Compassionate. We can can show compassion to those who are deceived, but we do not show compassion, compassion to error or deception. I hope you see the difference. I guess it comes back to the old saying, hate the sin, love the sinner. But you're going to be challenged, as the rest of us are every day, whether it's in your workplace or in the world, people you run into. We're being challenged. And our culture, the enemy, the culture has done an amazing job of making those who stand for righteousness and truth to be the intolerant, uncompassionate people. They've flipped the thing upside down. And we need to do all that we can, one person at a time, if that's all it can be, to turn that thing back up right, to represent Jesus Christ truly as his ambassadors, in truth, walking in love. Let's close in prayer and we'll bless the food also. Again, Father, I thank you and praise you that you are slow to anger, that you are patient with your people. God, I thank you for the example that Jesus himself showed us in compassion and being moved by compassion. I thank you for the story that he told that we can be taught from it even today, 2,000 years later. Lord, I praise you and thank you that there will be opportunities almost every day for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Maybe it's just to give a person a moment of our time, pay a little attention to them. Maybe it's to give them something that we have plenty of. Whatever it might be, Lord, help us to have a right heart. God, do not, I pray, Lord, do not let our hearts become hardened and calloused. Help us, Father, to guard our minds that we do not fall for the trap of the enemy, that we are not deceived by the world. Father, I pray for our young adults that are going out into the world that you'd go with them, before them, watch over them, protect them. I pray the same way for each one of us that we would truly be clothed in the armor of God, prepared at all times. That our faith would be a living faith that takes action. Lord, I pray you would now bless the food that we're about to eat. but Bless all those that have fixed it and prepared it for us. And I pray for protection over so many people who will be going from uh, reception to reception today. Watch over us and keep us all safe. And we ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.